0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hilary Harper here. Hello. I'm broadcasting from Nam on Wurundjeri country, and I've got a question for you. Is age objective, a number on a calendar that you can't argue with? More and more, research is showing that feeling good could actually increase your lifespan. What does it mean, though, if you don't feel good? Subjective ageing and how we might make it work for us on Life Matters Today. The field of subjective ageing explores how you can feel as good as possible and live as long as possible. That sounds excellent. Where do I sign up? It's a lot to do with how you feel about ageing, apparently. I'm wondering if that's been your experience. Tim Windsor is an associate professor at the School of Psychology at Flinders University and an expert in this field. And he's also the scientific chair of the Australian Association of Gerontology Conference, which kicks off next week. Tim Windsor, welcome to Life Matters.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Now, what do we mean by this term subjective ageing? What does it encompass?
0: Well, it's part of a a broader field of research concerned with views on ageing, which is really about how people think about their ageing. And people studying gerontology are increasingly interested in the extent to which our beliefs about our own ageing might actually be consequential for our our behaviour and our health. So uh, in, in the work that we do, we're particularly interested in people's awareness of changes in themselves and their lives as they get older and whether their awareness of losses um, is related to perhaps poorer outcomes in terms of health and well-being and whether awareness of gains is associated with better outcomes with ageing. And certainly that's what the research seems to suggest.
1: So is this about how we feel about our own particular ageing journey or ageing in general?
0: Well, it's a complex um, field and those things can become interlinked. sometimes people um, talk about what we call embodied stereotypes. The idea is that we we can form negative views of what it means to be older when we're very young and then as we age we can begin to become increasingly aware of our own ageing and as a result um, begin to see ourselves in a negative light if those beliefs about ageing are already of a negative nature. So um, there's a complex relationship between broader views of ageing and the way we view ageing in ourselves. I've
1: Just seen a text message on this, Tim Windsor, surely coping with the physical losses of ageing depends in entirely on whether you're comfortable with the people who care for or help you and whether your needs can be met. Ageing is fine, says this person, until you can't do things for yourself and then it can be awful, as simple as that. I mean, how much is it about those uh, concrete things around us that we can't control as opposed to the, the, the mindset issues?
0: Well, we can't pretend that those things aren't of of critical importance, and of course, people, as they get older, become more susceptible to losses in in health and functioning. Um, and and we don't um, we don't shy away from that as a um, important issue in growing older, but um, I guess what we would say is that, Although some of those losses may be inevitable for some people, there are also gains that can happen as we get older and and we may become more aware of um, how we've developed experience in areas of our lives that help us to make better judgments. We might become more grateful for smaller, simpler things that bring us pleasure on a day-to-day basis. And um, what we uh, are interested in is finding out more about whether those sorts of awareness or whether that increasing awareness of gains that can be associated with growing older might in some ways offset some of the um, difficulties for maintaining good mental health that can arise as a result of some of the losses that happen with ageing.
1: Well, perhaps this is something that you've put some thought into if you're listening to Tim Windsor, Associate Professor at the School of Psychology at Flinders University. What are some of the things that you do to try and keep yourself feeling young, to focus on those gains that come with ageing? I'm really interested to hear about the positives that you notice about getting older. Text in 0418 eight double two six. Five, seven, six. Tim, how confident can we be that there's a causal relationship between feeling good about ageing and about ourselves and actually living longer?
0: Well, it's always difficult when we can't uh, set up uh, randomised controlled trials, to, which are the gold standard for establishing cause and effect relationships. But there is really a growing um, body of literature pointing to these connections uh, with um, fairly consistent results coming out of studies showing that awareness of gains tend to be related to better health and uh, wellbeing outcomes and that awareness of losses um, tends to be related to poorer outcomes, even when we control for individual differences in physical health. Um, my suspicion is that there there's a kind of complex bi-directional relationship going on here where... Um, Changes in ageing bring about changes in the way that we see ourselves, but also those beliefs about ourselves can, in turn, influence um, aspects of ageing. For example, if we're optimistic about the future and are aware of resources that we might have built up as a uh, as a result of growing older, we might be more inclined to mobilise those resources to or, or engage in healthy behaviours that are going to help okay. preserve. Uh, well-being into the future.
1: So it's not about feeling happy on a day-to-day level then, it's more that sense of optimism and, and maybe perhaps an engagement with life.
0: Absolutely, and and we see engagement with life as being a really important part of maintaining healthy ageing. Um, and people can be engaged in all sorts of ways, even when um, changes to uh, health status and opportunities might limit some of the means of engagement that were previously available, people tend to be very good at adapting and finding new ways of uh, engaging in new activities that can give ourselves a sense of meaning and purpose.
1: How can you measure how happy someone is, Tim?
0: Well, uh, the way that people typically measure happiness in the in the uh, well-being field is asking people about their experience of, of positive emotions and their experience of negative emotions. So they tend to look at a balance of people's typical um, feelings of pleasure and, and happiness and satisfaction against feelings of um, sadness or anxiety or um, or feeling with low mood. Uh, so there's an, an emotional component to it and, and often we also assess um, happiness in terms of people's satisfaction with life. So a general evaluation of how their life is. It might not come with um, great feelings of positivity and and um, uh, joy and excitement, but it, someone might still be very satisfied at, at where their life is at a given point in time. So we tend to consider those things together in terms of getting an overall picture of. Um, someone's happiness.
1: We, that does lead me inexorably to the next question. For those of us who are more on the gloomy or pessimistic side, uh, this idea could be quite scary that optimism and engagement with the world can help you live longer. How many years am I losing, Tim Windsor?
0: <laughs> well, I'd be reluctant to try and put a figure on that. And, and of course, we, we can only look at averages across the population. It's hard to um, make predictions for individuals. But what I would suggest, and, and again, what we're interested in looking at in our research is is maybe whether this sort of, uh, I guess, recognising the complexity in, in that we do experience gains as well as losses in our lives. So we can be aware of things that go wrong. Um, we inevitably do face challenges and setbacks, but if we can recognise um, gains in our perhaps improved Um, we might even think of it as as an increasing wisdom as we get older, Um, becoming more adept at managing social relationships with ageing, being more aware of what's important to us in our lives and being able to prioritise our goals in ways that um, enables us to focus on those things that are important to us. There's some of the benefits that might come along with getting older that might help to offset um, some of those losses that can occur.
1: We're speaking with Tim Windsor who's an associate professor at the School of Psychology at <coughs> Flinders University and many of uh, your suggestions for how to stay young flooding in on the text line that number 0418 make efforts in your life to keep forming friendships with younger people says Ellen in Footscray in Melbourne uh, another says I find the most effective antidote against feeling old is curiosity and enjoying where it takes you and Scott says I'm 72 year old male I classify small everyday events or goals as rewards. Therefore, they're fun to anticipate and fun to achieve. And of course, being healthy means I'm still independent and autonomous and have choices. But having fun and making fun is fun, says Scott. That's an excellent idea, Scott. Thank you. Now, Dr. Kate Grigorovich is a geriatrician and internal medicine physician who works in hospital and community settings. Her latest book is called Staying Alive, The Science of Living Healthier, Happier and Longer. Kate, welcome to you. Thank you. Good morning. Now, from a medical perspective, how much effect does the brain have on how we experience the ageing process?
2: Yeah, I think in terms of our brain, you know, it's it's that that whole brain-body interconnection. You know, we have this sort of concept that they're separate, but really... We're all made of cells. We all need a good blood supply. And so brain health and body health really are inextricably linked. And, of course, maintaining your brain health is really important for enjoying life for all those long years, hopefully, ahead of us.
1: Yes, indeed. What about mindset? I mean, uh, in your work, how much focus is on people's attitudes to their own ageing process?
2: So when I'm sitting down with somebody the first time I meet them, the thing I really like to ask them about is what they like to do, how they spend their days. Because I can give out all sorts of health advice, I've spent an awful lot of time reading all the literature around it. But what's really important is how people understand their own lives, their own values and what it means to them. And I think it's really important that people have their own goals they're working
1: towards, something that matters to them, something that will improve their own life. Yes, indeed. I think that's what we all want. Dr. Kate Grigorovich, our second guest today, a geriatrician and internal medicine physician. Kate, I mean, what about the sense that some people might have that if our attitude to ageing is important, then it's up to us. It's up to individuals to control our own experience of ageing by being more optimistic. Is that a helpful way to look at it? I think it's, it's a really complex interplay. You know, people who are optimistic
2: often tend to have a bit more of a sense that they're in control. So perhaps that the actions they do matter. And it's, I don't want people to think that, you know, if they're not innately optimistic person, that things aren't going to work out for them. It's really important. You know, there are things that are out of our control and not all of life is in our control, but there's a lot that we can do to try and make our lives better. And I think it's also important to acknowledge we're talking about healthy aging. It is really hard as humans to do things for a maybe trade-off in 10 years. But I think that there's so many things that we can do in our lifestyles that are likely to increase the chances of us being healthy for a long time, but also have an immediate positive trade-off. So you don't have to wait for 10
1: years to get a benefit that's a very good thing to hear, that you don't have to wait for a long time to see the immediate results. Tim Windsor, I mean, is there a way we can avoid that idea that people go, oh, oh, it's up to me, oh, I have to change, I have to be more optimistic, when they might not be in that frame of mind and that might kind of compound their sense of powerlessness?
0: Yeah, look, I I think it's about um, making... um, good judgments about what you can and what you can't control. Um, as Kate said, there, there are things that are beyond our control. Um, but it, even if we can identify small areas of life where we can um, set goals or engage in behaviour that's going to help us to achieve small positive outcomes, then, then that can only help to increase our potential to... Um, well, increase the likelihood that we're going to fulfil our, our potential in terms of our quality of life.
1: So social connectedness, sense of purpose, optimism and the physical side of things all important. Producer Beck Zajac recently caught up with a group of five men aged between 68 and 91 who've been putting all this into practice what we've been talking about with Tim Windsor and Dr Kate Grigorovich. Grig- 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 Gr- 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 sorry Kate Grigorovich. Gr- just having T- right. a <laughs> And now these folks have been meeting up at their local pool in Melbourne every single morning for the last 8 years and we met them just ahead of their morning dip.
3: It's just before seven o'clock, we're standing outside the pool talking to the lovely Beck and our bathers with our magnificent physiques. Here comes Lou. He used to swim a little bit faster than that, but he's getting old now. He's got a bad heart. Graham's got a pacemaker, but he's quite good with his flippers and he gets goes faster than me and Lou and Johnny. Go on, Graham. You're going first. Age before beauty, Graham. Right?
4: That's right. So, Graham, what are the conditions like today?
3: Right? I didn't hear the question. Oh, sorry.
4: <laughs> I'm on. Uh, tell me what the conditions for swimming are like today. Is it a good day for
3: swimming? A nice, a nice day for swimming. Yes, yeah. very
5: A bit of sun makes all the difference.
4: It's pretty chilly this morning. How do you get yourself up to jump in a pool on a day like this?
5: <laughs> With difficulty. It's mostly in the mine. and just initially getting in, it's, it's, it always feels cold. But then you splash around a bit and
3: it's, and it's all right. My name's Angelo James Natalie, I'm 68. This is Graham Polkinghorne. Graham is our eldest, he's 91. Lou's next, he's 88. 88. Dennis is probably in the middle and Johnny's 73. And we were designated the Fab Five. But some people unkindly call us the Flab Five for very harsh reasons.
2: And um, tell me how long you've been meeting for
5: minutes.
3: Oh today? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, when, when
5: do you reckon I'll meet 12 job? years this will be than yes.
3: that. Nobody ever kept records We've been swimming here as a group probably for seven or eight years, um, as individuals before we met up, some going back 20, 25 years. We all met at the pool swimming and just turned up every day so we got to know each other. We go out for dinner with our partners or our wives every so often. We have a coffee every Friday morning, and uh, it's been a long time. And
4: has anyone ever else tried to to join the Fab Five? How do you get in?
2: Oh. an in-
3: invitation only. Yes. Oh, wait. No. There's a screening <laughs> process. It's called breathing. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to go in. <laughs> Bloody cold, he said. <laughs> the noise I'll make will probably be a squeal. A squeal of a, a squeal of a bloke losing his neckers Oh, no, that was beautiful. It's
6: beautiful. It
5: feels
6: a bit I but it's not bad, not bad. real mate. All right, they're swimming now. Off they go in a little line.
4: Lovely strokes. So, John, maybe you can talk to me a little about the Fab Fives kind of routine.
3: We, as a group, meet every morning. It's nothing, nothing structured about it at all. We swim. You know, between a kilometre and a kilometre and a half, um, none of us, well, Graham has been a very good swimmer. It's, we're not out to break records. We're not out to be great swimmers. We're out to get the exercise and, and a bit of companionship. Well, with me, it's a matter of necessity because uh,
5: it becomes like having an appointment. That's, that's what makes it interesting. That's what keeps me alive, I think. Otherwise, I'd be probably staying in bed more often, especially these cold mornings.
4: So, Lou, how long have you been swimming for?
5: I never had a swim before the age of 60 or so. Really? Yeah. So tell
4: me where you come from and when you started swimming.
5: i come from northern Italy amongst the rocks. (laughs) There were no pools. (laughs) Little rivers with rough rocks on, so that never happened. I've always been active, manual work type of thing, and I used to jog up and down the park here every night. Then the knees started playing up, so I thought I'd better do something else.
3: It's a bit of a progression. You start with running and, and walking and, and yeah. uh, playing sport and so forth, and you gradually get to the stage yeah, where, the old where, where your legs give out, and, and then uh, as your legs give out, when you, start to and you run, take on yeah, something just, that's yeah. less stressful on your on your legs. That's right. And you need you need the exercise for your heart and lungs. Yeah. You have to do exercise so you can enjoy all the vices, back. <laughs> Eating, drinking and
4: sating girls, all right. <laughs> so does it, well, how else does this help you with your kind of physical health,
3: do you reckon? Good maintenance. Keep your body reasonable enough so you can go to work and do what you need to do.
4: And what about like the mental health of... of
3: well that, that requires having a brain. <laughs> of course it helps, though. A bit of social interaction and yeah, yeah, of course. We just finished our 1500 metre swim in real record time. If you measure it by sundial.
4: And how did that feel? It
3: feels good, though. Good, very good. Feel fresh, ready for the day.
4: How did that? How did that feel, Graham?
3: Right.
4: How did that feel?
3: <laughs> Don't tell the truth, Graham. <laughs> that was alright. You <laughs> know about feeling.
5: I and mean, I need a little rest at either end to catch our breath,
3: Doesn't, don't we?
4: That's right. And has anyone ever sort of struggled to keep going?
3: Not really. You swim as far as you can. If you if you're not feeling quite up to scratch, you don't do as much as you normally would. But most of most of what gets up gets gets to do what they want to do. Lou Lou cheats a little bit, though. That Lou, you know. He reckons <laughs> he's done five left before he gets in the water.
4: <laughs> so does it keep you young?
3: Oh, I look young, don't I? And fit. Hey, look at that. Not many bikes got one like that, eh? Hey?
4: Fantastic. Mangiare,
3: manjari, manjari, da, manjari, manjari.
4: And wait, do you have any tips for um, other men your age who don't do this? Do it.
3: Do it. Do, do something it. anyway, big. Don't, okay. sit, around. don't just sit around. Get in and do something. Yeah. Either swimming, walking, whatever. But do it. But not at this pool because it'll get bloody crowded. <laughs> Come on, let's go and have a coffee, boys. All right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I reckon it's loose out.
5: <laughs> okay, you okay, yeah, go and have a you go and change and have a coffee.
1: i will meet you up there. The Fab Five. Tim Windsor, Associate Professor at the School of Psychology at Flinders University, and Dr Kate Grigorovich, Geriatrician and Internal Medicine Physician and Author, are our guests today talking about the science of ageing and our attitudes towards ageing. Tim Windsor, how useful is that activity from a holistic point of view when we look at the ageing process?
0: It's incredibly useful. Um, I think it's... Uh Obvious that uh, the physical activity impo- component is really important, and I'm sure Kate would attest to the fact that uh, there's a, a enormous research showing that physical activity is, is good for our bodies, as we all know, but it's also really good for our brains and uh, for our mental health, as as the um, the Fab Five was saying, um, and and also the social interaction component. We know that having uh, supportive social relationships is really important because it can facilitate uh, good health behaviours. It can facilitate engagement in broader aspects of life that give us um, exposure to these sorts of positive emotions. But it also means we've got a source of support available to us when um, maybe when things go wrong or when we need that bit of extra help, uh, we've got a network of people we can call on. So um, I, th- I think it's a, a tremendous example of um, Engagement that that really fits with these notions that we have of of um, the processes of uh, involved in ageing well.
1: Yeah, you could hear that those men knew about each other's lives. They didn't just rock up to the pool and have that limited engagement. They were deeply connected with each other over time and 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 in depth. Uh, Kate, how important are concrete lifestyle factors like activity levels compared to what we might see as more nebulous ideas like mindset, from your point of view as a geriatrician? <laughs>
2: Yeah. So we've got really good evidence that exercise, getting enough sleep, eating vegetables are really great for your longevity. And so, you know, with exercise, we know that if you're going to have the ideal exercise routine, you want to do a combination of cardiovascular exercise. So, you know, like swimming, fast walking, running if you're up to it, and as well as strength training. And I think strength training is quite, um, people don't realise how important that is, but one of the things that happens as you get older, it's actually particularly relevant for women, is that you lose muscle mass. And if you lose muscle mass, it can be, over time, that can get to the point where it's harder to do things like get out of a chair and you become at risk of falls. And so maintaining that is really important for you to be able to do what you want in later life. And as well, things like eating nutrition. Nutrition is a really complex area and, you know, there's no one perfect diet. But I think if you're going to keep it really simple, and my approach is try and make most of your plate vegetables for your main meals and at least that way you're getting a good variety of different nutrients and fiber and the other big one is sleep and the thing about sleep is a lot of evidence showing that poor sleep in the long term is bad for heart health bad for brain health but sleep as well we also know if you have one bad night of sleep you can feel pretty rotten the next day mm. so improving your sleep hygiene trying to get that a bit better it can have really meaningful impacts very quickly
1: There's a lot of scepticism on our text line that just having the non-physical things going on for you is going to improve your ageing process. People are saying, "Look, exercise is really important." Uh, You know, there's there's structural issues like how much money you've got and your level of health that are key to having a good ageing process. Kate, what do you see in your work? Is there does there need to be a balance between people's uh, sense of themselves their their feelings of optimism and those physical aspects as well
2: yeah what i would say is that when i'm trying to talk to someone about lifestyle changes the very first thing i do is try and get a sense of self and if you don't have a sense that you matter a sense that you've got purpose it's really hard to put in positive lifestyle changes and it is really important also to think about the structural side of things and it's easier to you know Grow old and be really healthy if you have sufficient funds. And so it's important that we do what we can, but it is also important, you know, as a society, that we take a step back and think how can we make this more equitable? How can we improve people's access to these things to help them grow old well?
1: Interesting text coming in on this on this idea that, you know, you you can't be having a happy old age if you're not healthy. One says, I'm 73 and I have MND, motor neurone disease. I can't walk or talk. Don't mind. Get more work done. Never felt better. I blame my parents' philosophy and attitude. And another says, I beat cancer in my early 40s, so aging is a bonus, and that's a perspective that's helped them. And this lovely one, I've never been old. I've lived for 92 years. It's only people who look at my physical body and say, You are old, but you are amazing. It is society that says people are old, so society shapes how people think of old age. Uh, Kate, how advanced is our understanding of what happens when the body ages? So we do know that
2: people have changes in your cells that lead to changes in how the body works over a long, over many, many decades of life. And so, you know, we do know there are certain things like, as I said before, you can lose a bit of muscle mass, you can have your bones get thinner, but there are, it's not inevitable that you're going to have this, you know, complete decline. And there are plenty of examples that we see of people, even in their 90s, who are still performing incredibly well and you know David Attenborough is a fantastic example even the Queen up until very not that long before she passed was still working and still doing so much and so it's not inevitable that you know you are going to people you know of a certain age will not be capable of doing things now that you know there is often people do need a bit more help and support and that's something I think can be very hard for people um, but you know we do need to acknowledge, you know, it doesn't mean you're less of value as a person, you've got less to contribute if perhaps you do need a bit of help. But it's not kind of inevitable that we're going to not be able to contribute to society as we reach very old age.
1: How big a problem is ageism when when it comes to how we feel about ageing?
2: I think it can be a huge issue. You know, there's that internalised ageism that sometimes people, you know, will say, oh, I don't want to go there because there's lots of old people when you know, perhaps they themselves might reach what we would consider very old age. And there is also, you know, as I said, these concepts that sometimes people who are older, people might not get the same number of choices that they would like to do or that they're not able to contribute in the same way. And I think it's a real myth, you know, we're just as capable of learning, we're capable of change, we're capable of contributing. And now perhaps, you know, our roles change through life. And I think that's something important to acknowledge. And sometimes as things change, people do need to then seek out different ways to add meaning. you know, perhaps if you're retiring from a job where you feel you get a lot of Status, or where you feel you're contributing, you might need to find some sort of volunteer work, or even whether it's looking after the grandchildren that might do that. So we do need to find that, but it shouldn't be an assumption that just because you're a certain X years, then your life should look exactly like this and you should behave this way.
1: Well, and there are a lot of text messages showing a, a huge range of uh, things involved in people's lives and, and approaches to life. And Marcus has texted in very pleased. I think that you have mentioned learning because he's 81 and applying for a PhD. He's done a lot of formal learning and he's very keen on that as a way to stave off those uh, negative aspects of aging. Uh, we mentioned before the, the social determinants of ageing, the kind of structural issues that affect things. And earlier on, we were, we were talking about uh, the fact that, you know, not everyone has the same level of choice in how they approach ageing. T- Helen says, all very well to talk about optimism and wellness, but finally, it's money. People with the ease of money live longer. Look at the population of Turak and Rose Bay in Melbourne and Sydney. So many healthy old, all those middle-class people who have money and time for Pilates. She says, you're being too vague Choices, fun, they're unavailable if the dosh is absent. It's patronising to talk about all of these things. For example, attitude when life is not controllable. Sometimes there's not a lot that you can do. Uh, Tim Windsor, what kinds of supports help people to age well? And not just the, the physical structural things that Helen points out are so important, but, but other things that, that help us have a good experience of ageing.
0: Uh, Some of those supports um, involve finding uh, different ways of achieving goals that that are important to us. So, um, for example, if someone um, enjoys a garden um, but is no longer able to um, uh, physically do the same sorts of things that they used to be able to do, it might involve scaling back and um, working with a, a smaller... Um, a smaller vegetable plot or um, moving towards pot plants or um, uh, changing their approach in ways that fit with their with their capabilities so um, being able to adapt our own behaviour and, and change our goals in ways that fit with our resources um, is a, an important element but also uh, informal social support I think is really important if we can draw on uh, the support of people around us and um, something that that is uh, sometimes spoken about in in research around social networks and social support is what we call the strength of weak ties the idea that if we have reasonably diverse social networks around us with various different people in them um, we might have a a greater opportunity to to draw on support from people who might have different skills or knowledge or resources that can help us when um, when we're in, in need of that bit of extra support. Mm,
1: and it sounds, again, like not just something that's down to the individual, but something we need to think of as a society. How do we design things so that it's easier for people to draw on a wide range of supports? Kate Grigorovich, just finally and quickly, you, you talked before about exercise, cardio and strength training and I noticed in one of your articles you're saying, okay, the other things you can do to stave off those physical ageing processes are have a healthy weight, uh, pay attention to your pelvic floor health, eat more fibre, be kind to your gut, but also feel joy. What's that about? I think it's really underrated how important it is to have fun in life.
2: And there's this concept from the ancient Greeks about that you've got, you know, two different types of happiness, the one that's more, I guess, that longer term beginning and purpose in life but also just a bit of hedonism you know things to look forward to and I think that example of the five swimmers was fantastic those guys were clearly having fun and you know we all need that in life and the reality is there's no 100% guarantees of anything and so you've got to find your bits of enjoyment wherever you
1: can in the everyday. Yes indeed And uh, Rose has texted in saying I disagree with your guest in saying As we grow old we can't contribute to society I know women in their 90s who are still knitting for charities Isn't that contributing? We're definitely not saying that Rose I think we were talking about that perception that some people have That actually changes their approach to their own ageing And makes it more a negative experience Because they feel that's what people think about ageing And I think our that's text e- messages are knocking that out of the water today. Yeah
2: that's, ex- that's exactly right I think it's a social perception but I know so many people who are doing amazing
1: things well into older age. Yes, indeed. Dr Kate Grigorovich and Tim Windsor, thank you both so much for chatting about ageing with us on Life Matters today. It's been really interesting. Thank you very much. Dr. Kate Grigorovich is a geriatrician and an author. Her last book is called Staying Alive, The Science of Living Healthier, Happier and Longer. And Tim Windsor is an associate professor at the School of Psychology at Flinders University who specialises in subjective ageing, how our attitudes to ageing can shape our experience of ageing in in quite concrete ways. Some lovely texts came in today. I'll just leave you with this one from Kylie. Ageing, old age is a gift that not all of us get. You're listening to ABC RN. Up next, how do we eat well as we age and eat to live longer too? Some pointers up next on Life Matters with our last episode of Tiny Tasters. If you're used to cooking for a crowd, cooking for one or two can feel a bit pointless. Why go to the trouble of steaming veggies and prepping a lemon herb marinade for the fish when a toasty will suffice Uh, again? But as you're here, combining the right ingredients can make some magic in your cooking. Life Matters Regular and award winning author Alice Soslavsky has been exploring the power of food across a lifetime with some of the country's best minds in health and nutrition. On today's finale of Tiny Tasters, what older Greek Australians living in Melbourne can teach us all about cooking up the perfect bioactive mix? Here's Alice. <music>
4: in older age, our priorities change again, as nests empty and appetites shrink. For many older Australians, finding the motivation to keep cooking for themselves is the first hurdle. But cooking and eating isn't just about nutrition. It's also about connection. Here's Dr Norman Swan, host of RN's Health Report and author of So You Want to Live Younger Longer, The Ultimate Guide to Longevity from Australia's Most Trusted Doctor. You might remember him from our first episode.
7: The most important message when one goes through life to really remember is that your brain runs everything. Your brain takes in the environment. So that's the physical environment, but it's also your social environment, your friendships, your relationships, how you're responding psychologically, your mental health and well-being. And all the brain knows is to turn that into physical messages to the rest of your body, physical signals. So if it's not going well... The brain becomes alerted and sends stressful messages to your body which are pro-ageing. So relationships and people around you is not a nice-to-have. It's actually essential for brain health and the health of of the rest of your body.
4: So whether it's reaching out to old friends, joining a cooking class, or finding friendly neighbours for a monthly cook-up, these moments will not only nourish your soul, they'll also help keep you young. And connection through food is something we've talked about across the series, whether you're young or young at heart. So if there's anything you've missed, you can catch up in your own time. Back to older Australians. What might surprise you is that one group are punching well above their weight when it comes to their eating habits.
7: Second longest lived people in the world are elderly Greek Australians living in Melbourne who have been well studied. What do they do? They eat a Mediterranean diet, but it's not the Italian diet. It's the diet of the Greek islands, largely Crete, but there is a pattern throughout the Greek islands. So in its raw components, it's not a lot of red meat, maybe once a week. It's fish and legumes where you largely get your your protein from.
4: And it's not just what's on the plates of these older Greek Australians. It's how they cook that Dr. Swan says creates an incredible bioactive mix.
7: It's cooked. It's not raw. It's cooked with extra virgin olive oil, chopped onions, you know, the sofrito mix that you start off many of these dishes with and use herbs and green vegetables as well as the tomatoes. And the herbs and the green vegetables add chemistry to the pot that creates a bioactive mix that helps to keep you younger, longer.
4: And that bioactive chemistry can have magical results.
7: Cooking is chemistry. Any chef will tell you that. And so uh, eating raw food is better than buying processed food in the supermarket. That's great. But if you cook it, and there's good research behind that, the chemicals in the food react with each other, and they produce magic. And that magic are compounds which affect the rest of your body. So extra virgin olive oil, onions, fresh herbs, fresh vegetables, They've all got stuff in it which is not fully understood. It's not just vitamins, it's other things as well, which react together and produce compounds that you could never buy off the pharmacy shelf.
4: But older age can also mean a loss of dexterity. So if that's a barrier, buy pre-chopped fresh or frozen vegetables from the shops or grab your food processor and grate your veg. You gain time in the preparation and in the cooking because smaller bits cook faster too so you can extract more nutrients and build flavour. Blanching or steaming are nice gentle ways of cooking green veg, and when in doubt, toss them through a little lemon juice and zest, some garlic, olive oil, and season to taste. And if salt is something you've been skimping on, here's a final tip from Dr Norman Swan.
7: Sodium is half of salt, and you've got to watch the labels here, because what counts is the amount of sodium that you eat. Too much sodium in your diet raises your blood pressure, uh, increases the risk probably of autoimmune diseases, maybe even of some cancer. So you've got to be wary of a very high-salt diet. The best way to control salt in your diet is actually not to eat processed foods, uh, to cook your food for yourself so you know how much salt you're putting in. It doesn't have to be none, but you just got to be careful how much you put in.
4: If you're still worried, feel free to under-season and then have a little pinch bowl of salt flakes on the table that people can help themselves to. And before you reach for the salt shaker, head for the herbs. Rosemary, thyme, parsley, basil, chives, oregano. All of these can pack a punch in the taste stakes. Finish with a handful of nuts, a drizzle of olive oil, and suddenly you're greaking out. That's all there is to it. I hope this little series of snacks, our tiny tasters, has helped you to think differently about how and what we eat at any age and stage in life. Now, it's your move. I'm Alice Zaslavsky. Cheerio!
1: Alice Soslavsky for Tiny Tasters. And if you want to catch up on any of those episodes, just head to our Life Matters website and scroll down to the picture of Alice. She has amazing glasses. That's how you will know her. Emma Nobel produced this series for us with help from our talented sound engineers, Ari Gross, Matthew Crawford and Carrie Dell. Now, if you're dreaming of holidays coming up, you might want to consider this old mode of transport. Up next on Life Matters.
3: With ABC Listen... Explore a whole new world of podcasts and live radio, like unpicking fast fashion in Veronica Milsom's podcast, Threads.
1: The marketing tricks being used on us right now.
3: Or learning to spend less and live better with Nazim Hussain's Pineapple Project.
1: Do we all really need it? And if
3: we do, how do we get it for cheap? The ABC Listen app.
2: A whole new world of live radio
1: and
3: on-demand audio entertainment.
1: Download it now
3: from your app store.
1: What did you wake up to this morning? Screaming kids? Garbage trucks? Crickets, but the electronic one on your phone? What if instead it was waves lapping and real crickets and bird song? Without camping, though. Catherine Best has one word for you caravan. How do you feel about caravanning? So many of us have done this as children and perhaps even as adults and perhaps even as older people as well. I'd love to hear your experiences on the text line 0418 226576. Catherine Best is a travel writer and an incredibly passionate caravanner who's done this many times with her partner and her kids. Her book is called Ultimate Caravan Trips Australia. Catherine, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. That's great to have you with us. Tell us what it is about the caravan experience that you love so much.
6: Well, I think your introduction just now summed it up beautifully. Um, Waking up to the waves lapping, um, being immersed in nature, um, getting away from the four walls, away from the city um, it's it's just an absolutely wonderful lifestyle. And when you have a caravan, you have a little home on wheels um, that's ready to, to go. You can head off spontaneously. You just need to grab change of clothes, maybe some perishable food, and you can be on your way. And um, pulling up at the, some amazing places, whether it's along Australia's you know coastline or uh, in the foothills of mountains, deserts. Um, and you have all the comforts of home right there with you. It's just a wonderful way to travel.
1: Well, especially if you're a parent, it's such a different experience to camping, isn't it, which can feel like parenting in very inhospitable circumstances. You know, you've basically brought that, a tiny house with you.
6: That, that That's very true. And I know that for a lot of people, you know, camping isn't for everyone. Um, there's a lot of pack, uh, setting up involved and pack down. You're sort of exposed to the elements a bit more. You're sleeping on the ground. You might have an esky and your ice melts and um, storing things is just, you know, becomes difficult, um, it can be a bit of a headache. So caravanning basically takes away all those uncomfortable um, aspects of camping and makes them a lot more comfortable. It is camping in com- comfort is, is how I sell caravanning to the
1: uninitiated. Well, you're um, very initiated, aren't you? I mean, this is in your blood. You, you did this as a child. And I imagine it was quite different then with the, you know, in the days before anti-lock braking systems and things like that. What was it like <laughs> when you were a kid?
6: Yeah, look, it, it, was, it was very different. So we did our first trip as a family back in 1985. Um, and our caravan was very basic. It was a, uh, an 18-foot Millard with um, triple bunk. And the extent of our um, off-grid technology was a little um, battery-powered single light in the, in the roof. Um, and that was it. It was, it was quite light um, to, to tow. And I think we just had a, a Ford Falcon for our, our first trip. And these days, caravans are so much bigger Um, They're a lot heavier. I think ours is just over three tonne. Um, And they're incredibly high tech. People spend tens of thousands of dollars um, with buying elaborate, um, you know, solar panels and and battery systems so that they can pretty much live the life they have at home um, when they're on the road.
1: Well, I I looked at the picture of yours and I mean, it looks better than my kitchen. (laughs) It's beautiful.
6: (laughs) Our, our caravan is more sophisticated than um, our house, that's for sure. But ours is far from a top of the line. Um, we, we do have solar panels, and we have some capacity to run things off grid. But some people um, run, you know, their air conditioners for half the night, um, air fryers, um, coffee machines, um, thermomixes. Uh, yeah, it's it's quite extraordinary. And of course, at the other end of the scale, there are people who want to get away from that and just strip um caravaning back to its basics um, and you know for them, it's all about um, you know campfires and and being outside, and there's a lovely simplicity in that um, and I'm actually more on on that side um. Than, than the other end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah. We lived in a caravan for a year at one point, my family. We weren't going anywhere. We lived in a caravan park at the time. But it was that thing where you, you know, doubled the size of your living area by sticking an awning outside, one of those brown <laughs> stripy canvas things, and the kitchen table folded away to be a bed later in the in the night. I mean, it sounds like things have changed a lot. How much is a caravan going to set you back these days? Okay, so if
6: you want to go an absolute top-of-the-line bells and whistles van, um, I saw one at the Caravan and Camping Show about a month ago for $215,000. Oh, my Lord. But that is the the upper limit. Um, you can get a, a new caravan, um, a bit smaller, with less bells and whistles, probably for around $50,000, $60,000. But then, of course there are these wonderful vintage caravans that are being, you know, rebirthed and given a, a new lease of life. So you might be able to pick up a van for um, as, as little as $5,000. And then there are sort of hybrid caravans that are like your, you know, your pop tops, um, which are much cheaper again. So th- there really is an, a, a price point for, to suit most, most caravanners, mm. I, I would think.
1: Yeah. Well, you then you bought your three-ton, 22-foot beautiful van just at the start of 2020. I so, was so sorry to read your article that said, yep, we <laughs> bought it. It came home. It sat on the driveway for months and months and months. When you finally got it on the road, Catherine Best, how did the family take to it?
6: Uh, they They just loved it. And to be honest, it had been such a long time coming. We were camping out on the weekends during that. Horrendous long lockdown in Melbourne. Can be out in um, the van on the weekends. Well, yes, oh. yes, we were. We did that every weekend for about three months, um, uh, just to I don't know feel like we, we were getting away and using the van. Um, so the the day that we left was the the first weekend we were allowed out because we had that five kilometre um, limit on travel, um, and we didn't go very far. We just went down the roads. Um, to Hillsville, and we we were actually squealing in the car as we were driving. It was just so incredibly exciting, and um, you know we we were getting everything out, all these new new things we hadn't had a chance to uh, to use yet, like the you know the outdoor table and chairs and the slide out barbecue, and um, it, it it was it was just wonderful. It was everything we'd we'd hoped it would be, um, and, and our first experience was quite tame in that. We went to uh, a big four caravan park, which have, you know, all the facilities, the the, the kids' um, jumping pillow and the swimming pool and um, really fabulous amenities with heated floors and rain shower heads. It was quite extraordinary. Um And that was a great introduction, just in case, you know, something went wrong. And as it turned out, our um, power lead wasn't long enough because the sites were really big. So we had to borrow one from reception. And, you know, there was a few little things like that. And uh, reversing the van for the first time was really nerve wracking. Um, So it was good that. They were really big sites. Um, and then once we were comfortable, we were able to venture further afield and and you know do some free camping, do some low-cost um, campsites where you really are out you know in in the wilds um, and amongst the wildlife and and, and the the birds. Um and the kangaroos and able to have a campfire and see the stars at night. And mm. for us, that's that's the greatest part of, of caravanning.
1: Well, yes, um, after that first, you know, 45-minute trip out of the, the Melbourne CBD, you, you did some really long trips. Where was your favourite place yes. to wake up, Catherine?
6: Oh, my goodness. Um, so many. Probably, I would say, um, South Lafroy Bay on the Ningaloo Coast. So that's part of the former Ningaloo Station. Um, so, this is a, a low-cost campground um, where you can park up literally on the beach, on the sand, and you're 10 paces from the water. Um, there's there's turtles in the water. I, I did have a very terrifying encounter with a tiger shark at one point. Um, but and, and the campsites are so spread out. So, I think our nearest neighbours were about 20 metres away, and we couldn't actually see them from our caravan. And so at night you're watching from the sand those incredible WA sunsets that, you know, that state is famous for over the water. Um, and there was there's just nobody around. Um, there, there is no facilities there, so you do need to be self-contained. But the beauty of, of modern caravans is that, you know, they have, um, you you. you and, and even have showers and things like that um, there's no fresh water so you do have to be careful with um, how much water you use but um, yeah that and we could have campfires there so it's just just magic um well, really yeah. special special.
1: Uh, reading your articles, Catherine Best, because you are a travel writer, I mean, mm-hmm. I, a lot of people are going to go, oh, surely there are challenges, you know, rainy days, long car rides, getting a bit sick of each other. But you actually say it, you felt that caravanning and these long trips with your family make you a better parent. How's that? Mm, de- definitely. I think because
6: I'm so busy at home, I'm so distracted, there's always something to do. Life is really hectic. Um, when we get away, every that all of that is, is stripped away. Um, the kids aren't on screens. We, we have a rule that they can watch a movie in the car and once we get to a destination and unhitch, the screens go away and they don't even look for them because they're so preoccupied. Climbing trees, um, racing hermit crabs, um, digging massive, you know, holes on the on the beach with little friends that they've made um just being being kids it's wonderful wholesome play and um because of that i i am so much more relaxed they're having a wonderful time we're having a wonderful time we we get to have some some adult time we we you know often make friends with other families so we can you know have a glass of wine around the campfire i just feel like i'm i'm not yelling at kids, I'm not fighting with them to get off screens. Um, we're just all in a really happy place. And as a parent, I think it's rare that you get those moments in, in time these days. So, um, And even when we're away for weekends, for little short periods, it's, a, it's just a great way for us to, to reconnect.
1: Yes, indeed. Well, I do probably need to ask you what you do on the rainy days or, you know, when people get a bit fractious. How do you cope with being in a relatively small space, even though it is a 22-footer with a better kitchen than ours?
6: Yeah, look, we we manage okay. Um, th- and we have had rainy days. Uh, so the, the kids can go into their bunks and, and read, Um we do have a TV in the caravan, um, but we never used it oh, no. on our trip. We, we told the kids we didn't bring it with us. <laughs> and they they did subsequently find out that it was under the bed. Um, so we played board games. And again, this is something that we don't tend to do at home. So we play board games. We play um, cards. Um, and often, you know, if it's just a bit of drizzle, the, the and we're at a caravan park the kids will take themselves off to the playground anyway or or go to the games room um you know we always get by um probably one of the most difficult um, conditions we had wasn't actually rain and weather it was mosquitoes Ah. (laughs) in uh, kakadu they were intense and it was extremely hot um and we were in an unpowered site so we had no air conditioning or anything and Somehow we don't know how, but they they were getting in, um, and it was like this army of of mozzies and we were under siege. And so we were closing all the the windows, and they were still getting in. And the um, the uh, kids were in their undies because it was so hot, Aww. and they were very upset. And then we were getting frustrated. And but you know what? Now we look back at those times and we laugh and. Whenever we mention Kakadu, that's probably the first thing that comes up, from, especially from the kids. So, you know, they're, they're all memories, good, good and bad. Well, so, exactly, yeah. yeah. And
1: that, as you say, those things are cancelled out by the magic. Catherine Best, thank you. Great to chat to you about caravanning today. That's Catherine Best. She's a travel writer and author, and her new book is called Ultimate Caravan Trips Australia. And that's it for Life Matters today. Up next, the farewell gift. Such a fraught moment in some ways, so lovely in others. Our two hard basket next time is right in the thick of the tricky bits. If you're the admin person and you can see how much everyone gives and someone up high in the chain has not given anything, but they've signed the card, what do you do? Outing is such a nasty word, but that's a bit rich, isn't it? Beverly Wang and her team of highly trained ordinary human beings will put their brains to that on the next episode of Life
0: Matters. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.